In this episode, Andile and Liso compare and contrast social entrepreneurship with mainstream entrepreneurship, definitions, debunking of narratives, and an introduction to business models. The conversation has it all, truly a melting pot. Through this podcast, we seek to create a space, a space of refuge for entrepreneurs taking their first few steps into the severe test and trial that is entrepreneurship. The Crucible, a podcast by Andile and Liso. Hello, everyone. We hope you enjoyed episode one of the Crucible podcast and that you now know a little bit more about us. You guys gave us really good feedback on that first episode and we're extremely grateful for that. So we took a step back to listen to all the episodes and we picked up that one or two of the episodes. Our audio comes in and out a bit and you can also hear some ambient or background noise. (laughs) The ambient and background noise. Ambient. You're using fancy English. I mean, uh, you can literally hear my twins and and children crying in the background. Um, You'd know that uh, I'm a father and as now we don't have another place where we can record so literally we're recording where we can we're finding quiet spaces in our bedrooms in our kitchens and we could have let that stop us but we continued and recorded the podcast so on listening we initially had thoughts of re-recording and changing everything trying to get more suitable environments but we decided against it because this is the crucible podcast a melting pot of ideas and experiences We wanted you guys to experience the ups and downs of our journey in creating this podcast with you. So we let it be. And in today's episode, we're going to be discussing social entrepreneurship versus traditional entrepreneurship. Based on our background being coordinators and consultants in a social entrepreneurship space, we wanted to really debunk some myths about what social entrepreneurship is, what it's not, and really draw some lines and similarities in the end, show everyone that the only real difference is the MTP or the vision or the mission. However, if you are in entrepreneurship or an entrepreneur or in enterprise, you are more or less doing the exact same thing. So I want to start with just sharing my experience with something that is a bit when people start their entrepreneurial journeys for most times they always say they want to create jobs they want to make a living or they want to be their own boss for me those are are really the wrong reasons when you are going into the space of entrepreneurship you are someone who is obsessed with problem solving but not only with problem solving in general, you are someone who's obsessed with creating value from your solutions uh, through which you derive in your problem solution process. Umduza boza value. What 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 is value? Um, and, and in simple terms, we'll say it's finances, it's, it's money, or it's something that people are willing to part with their hard-earned cash. For, if not part with their hard-earned cash for, it's something that they're willing to part with their time for. Mm-hmm. And that is something of value. So apart from just solving those problems as an entrepreneur or someone who's going into business, you are someone who's wanting to create value out of those solutions. 
And then other things like the growth of the value that you're creating, you know, the number of people that you're solving a problem for, then dictate if you begin to create jobs and employment and all the such things. So entrepreneurs exist to create value. So that, that, that's starting with the first part of, of, of that um, whole social entrepreneurship versus uh, the mainstream entrepreneur. At the end, we're solving a problem and we are solving a problem to create value on both sides. So I think very quickly they begin to understand that when we talk about organizations that don't create value, that don't create something that someone is willing to pay for, uh, are therefore not social enterprises or those individuals are not social entrepreneurs. So we begin to put food baskets one side and blankets, even though those are noble causes, uh, getting people blankets, disaster relief and the likes. But most of those things are actually the responsibilities of governments more than it is those of entrepreneurs. Yeah. Maybe a bit of CSI, you know, people wanting goodwill from their enterprises, but not necessarily to say that is your MTP, which is your massive transformation purpose or your mission statement. So really, when we look at a social enterprise, many people will ask then if it's not creating freebies for everyone out there, what is a social enterprise? And I want to go into it in, in a few parts. I want to start by saying a social enterprise is an organization that has a clear mission. Whether the mission is economic, social, cultural, environmental, is besides the point, but typically within those four spaces, you've got a clear mission within those four spaces. And that mission within those four spaces is looking to create real benefits for the public or a specific targeted community. So that's the first element that you, you always want to look at. Do they have a clear mission that is either economic, social, cultural, or environmental that creates a clear benefit for the community or a targeted community. And the second part of it is obviously trade. Because you are in entrepreneurship, you're an enterprise, there is a certain trade that you're undergoing to fulfill this mission. You know, you're selling something, whether it's a product or a service or whatever it is, you're selling something to ensure that you're able to meet your mission. And then you are deriving you might be getting, um, I don't want to be misquoted on this one, you might be getting donations here and there, but majority or most of your income is derived from your trade. I want to leave it at those three elements to say that is what a social enterprise is. Though you've got people at heart, though you've got the environment at heart, though you've got society at heart, you are having a clear trade that will obviously need to have a business model, and you are deriving majority of your income from that trade, then that qualifies you to be able to say you are a social entrepreneur or you are running a social enterprise. I want to take it back a little bit and refer back or touch on some of the points that, that you've made already. In preparing for today, I just quickly typed on Google um, entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship and social just to see what Google says, you know, I've got my own definition, you have your own definition, and many other people listening to this podcast have their own definition of what entrepreneurship is. And I just want to quickly read just these two or three sentences that I found. When I looked at entrepreneurship, 
it said it is the ability and readiness to develop, organize, and run a business enterprise along with any of its uncertainties in order to make a profit. That's entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Then I went and looked at social entrepreneurship. And then it says, is the process of recognizing and resourcefully pursuing opportunities to create social value. Then I went and just looked at the word social. And it says, relating to society or its organization. And some of the synonyms are communal, collective, group, and so on. And that's to reinforce the points that you've already made. And when I think about it, we're talking about social entrepreneurs versus or equals to mainstream entrepreneurs, depending on your school of thought. And mine is to say an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur. You see a gap in the market, you see an opportunity, you see a problem, you build a solution for it, and you sell the solution. Then the social aspect of entrepreneurship or being a social entrepreneur comes in where you combine the general entrepreneurship definition or let's say the economic element with the social element or you combine the economic element with the cultural element the economic element and the environmental in element and then that allows you to then focus you know or hone in on a particular focus area on a particular community on a particular service or product and when i think about it further you can't be a social entrepreneur if you're not generating revenue to start off with. I won't even get to profit. And, you know, we'll talk a little mm -hmm. bit about how you ensure that your enterprise or your business or your venture as a social entrepreneur then generates or ensures that within the recipe, within the general operations of that enterprise, you've got uh, resources to fulfill this social cultural, mission. environmental mission. So that, that's really what I've looked at. And, and, and I think that the aim of this particular episode is to discard this thing of saying, you know, I'm a social entrepreneur. And someone says, no, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. And, and you look at the people as, you know, two different people. If you're an entrepreneur, you cannot not make money. You just can't. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's, there's concepts that we've come across. And, and I think one that, that always stands out for me is mission drift. I think I really, really want to jump into that. It's, it's, it's something that's really, really close to my heart in terms of people, specifically those that are in the social side of entrepreneurship, understanding their mission, but also understanding that there needs to be a balance between the social mission or the environmental mission or the cultural mission with the economic side of things in the business so that your business is able to be sustainable you know uh, if you go into things like sdgs they begin to talk about responsible production and consumption for so long as you are consuming resources from your organization your organization must also be producing certain resources in a sustainable way that is if you go into the sdgs but i just like that term even outside the context of SDGs and what it means in that space. Uh, when you talk about SDGs, obviously we're talking about sustainable development goals, which were placed upon us by the United Nations to try and redress some of the issues that we are having in the world at large. But coming back to this point of mission drift, I think it's really, really, really important that we first begin to understand that the only 
true or real difference between a mainstream entrepreneur that exists for profit alone or that exists for giving value to its shareholders versus that uh, of a social enterprise is that the social enterprise exists for creating value for a much broader uh, spectrum of, of stakeholders. You know, when you talk about a, a social enterprise, you're not only talking about giving back to the investors or the founders. You're not only talking about giving back to the employees or developing the employees. You're not only talking about the community. You're not only talking about the environment, but you're really talking about all those elements in a wholesome manner. And in doing that, you then begin to need to think hard about what your mission is and your mission being attached to a certain environmental, cultural, social issue. And upon understanding that, when to say we have our mission in mind, but now what is the problem that we are going to be solving and creating economic value for? Those almost in the beginning exist independently of each other. Yes, you are using the resources and the assets that you've identified from the environment, from the community, from the people. But you're then asking yourself, how do I then use those? Or how do I leverage those to then be able to create value that I can then capture through people paying, people giving their time, or people donating whatever resources that they're donating, which then amounts to a certain level of revenue that's pure revenue or it's a revenue in kind that comes from the client. So in understanding the people to say, you no, know, we are working with disadvantaged people from disadvantaged backgrounds, or we are working with vulnerable women, or you are targeting, you know, youth, you know, we've been in programs where you say, you know, you need to be between the ages of 14 and 35 to participate, or you need to be female and so forth. That once you've understood that and you understand the type of capital that is in there, whether it's social capital, whether it's human capital, whether it's environmental capital in terms of the natural resources that are available in that space that you are targeting, you then begin to put on a different hat to say, what value can I create and how can I possibly monetize that value? And, and once you get to that level, you will then begin to talk about then these different types of um, business models whereby the social mission is aligned with this economic value that we are trying to extract or the social mission is fed from this economic value. You know, I always make an example to say, for you to really understand this concept, if you are starting up a gym as a social enterprise, you are saying, I'm really concerned with the health of people. It's the time of COVID. We think people should be exercising. We think people should be eating healthy. So I'm setting up a gym and a health bar. So in terms of smoothies and, and all these types of good stuff that you could possibly get from that space. You are then saying to people, not only am I concerned about people's health, but I'm also running a business through which people pay a certain fee, whether it's membership or pay a 20 rand to get that smoothie or 30 rand to get that smoothie, whatever the pricing is. But you're also delivering a social mission to say, by you consuming my products, by you attending and using my service, which is the gym, you are then becoming more healthy, but you're also running a business. And in that one, we say your economic mission is well aligned with your social mission. And that's my favorite type of social enterprise. But we also get you know, different types, you know, the ones that provide a certain service, whether, for example, you are training people in the community on how to become you know, better farmers, and then you're also 
still taking that um, produce and then taking it to market that begins to mean that even things like supplier and enterprise development part of your PE scorecard can then begin to um, if you, you really do that well and you do it properly begin to position you as a social enterprise but you are for the betterment of your own business and your own product you are ensuring that other communities have got a skill set they've got a good product and that they've got a clear access to market through your channels and in doing that you're running a social enterprise so i think majority of the businesses would have you know supplier development program and by doing that already specifically we know we can get into it some of them are tick box exercises uh, you know because be wants it because you know triple um, b in fact uh, wants it and then it's just a tick box exercise but if you do it and you do it properly you then begin to be able to you know diversify your supplier base meaning you unreliant on one supplier should they feel you've got another option but also you're able to amplify the value um, and the social upliftment that you're creating in that community by not only giving them jobs but also giving them opportunities and a stake um, to contribute uh, within the economy i just want to highlight something there this is uh, possibly a separate episode on its own but when we talk about mission and the interlink between the economic and the social or the cultural or the environmental, it needs to be embedded in your success metrics. Definitely, definitely. We need to talk about that. It must be something that you measure, something that you need to measure for it not to just be a tick box exercise to say, we're running a gym and we are concerned about the health of people. But in your KPIs, when you look at the membership or subscription or whatever it is, you look at the number of people that come in, you do a pre and post assessment of the status of their health, maybe looking at obesity, you know, there's that measurement of obesity. Once you're over, I think, I'm not sure if it's 30 or 31, you're considered obese. You look at issues around the blood pressure, how it increases or decreases with regular and frequent exercise the consumption of these smoothies and so on, what is the impact of that on the health? And not just the sales, the revenue, how much it's costing you to run the gym, to keep the lights on, to employ people in the health bar. But having all of these environmental and cultural and social indicators in and amongst your KPIs is very, very important. And it highlights or distinguishes you from someone who's running a tick box exercise and and when you say properly mm. for me when you say properly you mean that it it must be there these are the things that when you wake up and you check you know your figures for the month your figures for the week it must be there it mustn't just be you know your revenue and then okay we need to get more people to come in but what is happening with the two three people that you start off with what is the story that you're going to tell about the journey that they've been through how much weight have they lost how has their blood pressure reduced? Um, you know, you can look at all of these uh, other elements. But for me, when you say properly, when you say tick box, immediately I noted down KPI to say it needs to be in your KPIs. It needs to be in your key performance indicators. When we say it needs to be done properly and it needs to be in your KPIs, but before it can even you know lead to uh, you know a performance area, it must be in your operational plan to say. How what are you doing and how are you positioning yourself 
uh, on a day-to-day to be able to get that data. Because sometimes, you know, we find in the space people are, you know, looking for data at the end of the financial year. They're looking for data at the end of the program year to say, okay, what have we done well? But in terms of their program operationally or their business, in terms of how it was set up and how it was run on a day-to-day, there was no deliberate effort to, one, create that uh, data. Um, so even in terms of the type of people that you then get into your gym is then important. Uh, but not also to create that data, but then to capture that data on an ongoing basis and not to go back and look retrospectively and say, what's nice that we can actually capture uh, and, and, and sell ourselves as people who are doing good work within the society or people who are social entrepreneurs. So I think that 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 for me is very, very important. Where is it in your operational plan? And another thing is you're able to pick it up once it's in your operational plan and it's in your KPIs. You're then able to, on an ongoing basis, not just at the end of the quarter, say, we've set ourselves this target but we're not meeting it. What do we then do to change, to pivot? What do we need to improve on a week-to-week basis, on a day-to-day basis to meet that social mission, to meet that cultural mission, to meet that environmental mission? Um, and, and, and that's the importance of it being embedded in you know the core, the core mission in the operations plan and ultimately in, in the key performance indicators. And then if it's not embedded, you then run into this thing that we talked about in the beginning. You see, you then run into what is called a mission drift. And, and what is a mission drift? A mission drift is when um, your, your, your revenue generation or your, your business uh, goals, I don't like the term business goals, but in terms of, let's say, revenue generation or income, tends to undermine other KPIs that are more social, environmental, cultural in nature. Um, you begin to say, actually, this doesn't really do much for me um, because um, by design, you did not set up to see, to create social capital and be able to create social mobility through your product uh, or service. So it's very important if you've got the people's interest at heart by design and not incidental, your KPIs need to speak to that. I think um, the next thing that I really, really, really wanted speak to was you know beginning to speak to that element of beneficiary model versus revenue model we've talked quite a lot about there's the revenue side and there's the beneficiary side but obviously with a social enterprise you want to marry the two you want to have a clear beneficiary but also you want to have a clear revenue because the revenue in itself enables you to be able to continue to deliver your social mission without the revenue, because we said when we started, you bear in mind, that a social enterprise derives majority of its income from selling its trade or from revenue. And therefore, it means you need to have a clear revenue model that then is enabling you to be able to, uh, you know, deliver the benefit to the beneficiary. Uh, I want to start, though, with the beneficiary or the benefit. You know, there's this myth or notion that someone to be a beneficiary they must be receiving a handout somewhere somehow that might be true in charity organizations but we've already said in the beginning that the social enterprise is not a charity for us a beneficiary is someone who is deriving a certain benefit as a result 
of the ordinary operations of that specific enterprise or business. Whether we are setting out to increase access to food and we are setting out to reduce the costs or to reduce the burden of getting food. The person whom we are setting out to reduce the cost, reduce the burden or increase the access uh, of uh, food, staple foods too, is then a beneficiary of the product or, or beneficiary of the business or beneficiary of our work, regardless of the fact that they pay, you know. Uh, so so it, it then begins uh, in, in this state to say there is no genuine difference between a beneficiary and a customer. Again, we're putting our people's interest at heart. When you set out, yes, you want to create value for this person. Yes, you want to reduce burdens on them. Remember, we said you want to solve the pain point, but also you want to monetize it. And once you are operating from that point, you say we don't want to be exploitative, but we do want to monetize what we're doing. You are then beginning to have a clear beneficiary model. And I think beneficiary models can be different. I just wanted to say, I think, um, I think you were getting into it just now uh, to bring in, you know, the nuances that it's not just on the customer side. You know, and I, I know it's something that you're really passionate about um, in terms of building business models. And again, that's now another episode on its own. Um, but just to highlight, you know, apart from me having more access to clean drinking water, access to sanitation, uh, possibly paying, um, you know, to access a particular type of sanitation system or you know, access to these fresh, uh, organic vegetables um, or whatever other um, enterprise you're running. What are the other models around around this concept uh, of beneficiary models? What are some of the other ways in which one could benefit without necessarily receiving handouts? If, if, if you could maybe dive a little bit deeper and, and just you know just give us a little bit of unpack it a of, bit. of source yes and un unpack it a bit for us no definitely as i said the one of customer beneficiaries is, is all just one model another one that's very very close to my heart and i think i've already touched on it a bit is the co-aggregating go-to-market model co-aggregating go-to-market model that's a bit of a mouthful so let's unpack it a bit so usually you find many many people um, start different businesses and, and ventures, whether it's survival or they're really passionate about that certain product or service. But you find that they don't necessarily have the means in terms of one, maybe skills and expertise in terms of how to break into the market or the capital to be able to set up at the scales that that specific market requires. So co-aggregating models then basically say we know Andile um, and we know Andile sells chickens and we know Andile sells eggs, but we know he doesn't produce enough eggs on a daily or on a weekly or on a monthly to be able to then go and supply the local retail, local wholesaler. How about we leverage um, Andile together with Liso's farm, together with Apiwa's farm, together with Sia's farm? And, and put them all together, train them to be able to produce a standardized product and then say, supply us, we'll aggregate or we'll put together your entire produce and then we'll be then able to go to market. 
almost creating a co-op of sort um, to say we are combining for this common purpose of unlocking this market that requires certain quantities of us that in an individualistic basis we can't be able to reach but in a cumulative basis we can be able to reach and by facilitating that interaction between these different entrepreneurs which could be from the same community or varying communities you are then creating a different type of enterprise that is benefiting people by unlocking access to markets through creating what is called uh, co-aggregation models so that's that's that that's that's one example but there's also another example um and, and this is another one that i really really love specifically for vulnerable groups um those that you know have not yet embraced entrepreneurship because sometimes it happens that people uh you know uh, you know when you run these programs you, you create these opportunities they arrive with cvs um and and you want to create you know a space and then a model that can also ensure that those people are not left behind because once they begin to be employed they begin to contribute to the economy and in contributing the economy they also then contribute to the growth of your social enterprise so that you can be able to amplify your impact in terms of the benefits that you're providing to, to these people so the second one is the employee model whereby you, you begin to be very 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 deliberate um, and you, you saw they are used not one but not two but three varies to say you are deliberate about the type of people you employ within your business you are deliberate about how you source them, you're deliberate about their social context, you're deliberate about understanding their economic and academic background. We will dive into this a bit deeper when we begin to talk about examples, but this one speaks to saying um, in our organization, we will only employ people who come from child-headed households. We'll give them an opportunity at their first job. Um, whether it's something as significant that is it being a, maybe a, a laundry shop by the uh, working the machines and so forth, but we'll give them experience and we'll give them an opportunity to be able to say they've worked at a job before. And if you don't come from a child-headed household, we are unlikely to employ you um, or we'll only employ you if there is no other alternative. So that's one example. And then there's many other things that people care about. You know, there's the autism spectrum. You know, we've seen programs whereby they say, really really difficult for people to get um, employment opportunities for people in the autism spectrum others see it as people who are mentally challenged whether it's physically or and mentally and the likes and you say i'm going to set up an, an entity whereby i'm only going to employ these people to deliver a certain service whether it's the entire value chain in terms of creating a product and taking it to market or it's a certain element that you know you only create uh, or take opportunities from a certain type of individual. I mean, that could go as far as saying even things like internships. To say we only offer internships to certain types of individuals. Maybe if you come from certain type of school, certain type of community, and that then says you really. And and, and we come back to that point that you talked about earlier. You then begin to be able to measure, track the before and the after. Where did my intent come in? Where are they now? Where are they five years later? What skills did I give them? And what confidence? I think very important when you talk about the beneficiary model is that you want to begin to be instilling confidence in your employees, um, confidence in people that you know become part of your value chain, so that even if in the end they don't continue to supply you, they're able to you know, grow wings 
you know, get a bit of Red Bull, grow wings and, you know, go into different spaces. I think there's many, many other models um, that we'll dive into once we talk about business models in general. But those are my three favorite ones to say. One, let's talk about creating proper value for the customer, ensuring that they derive a benefit. Two, let's talk about ensuring that entrepreneurs get the necessary skills, get the necessary go-to-market, even those that don't view themselves as entrepreneurs but view themselves as labor, they're able to create the product, they're able to create the service, able to get them to market through uh, a model that is the co-aggregating of the services, co-aggregating of the product produce. Then last but not least is the one that we say we're really, really deliberate about who we employ. So I think those three are what I'll, I'll stop at for now. As we you know, look to wrap up the episode. For me, there's one thing that, it's not one thing, it's one of the many things. That, <laughs> one of many. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the many things that really stand out. Uh, you know, this phrase that we've used throughout the podcast, proper value, and and linking it to one of the a few of the models that we've spoken about today, is, you know, sometimes you find entrepreneurs, businesses, that are so, I'm not sure what the right word is, but they hold on to their talent. You know, I, I took you mm. out of the mud and I brought you here and now you want to. Mm. For me, mm. a true social no. enterprise is to say, you are here, move on to bigger and better things. Go and get bigger and better contracts as a supplier. Go and find a, a better employment if you want to continue on the employment path. I will continue to bring people out of their hardship. I will continue to help people, um, you know, transition from a history and a life of poverty to a place where they can be a beacon of hope to their siblings, to their families, to the community. And once you are here and you have that quote unquote status that you're a beacon of hope, you know, that you're the first one in the family to have a formal job, to have some sort of skill, then you move on, go and start your own thing. I don't care if you build a business similar to mine. My mission is to take people of a certain nature from point A to point B, and I'm, and I'm not concerned about point D and E. For me, that really, really stands out uh, amongst social enterprises that are really social in nature. I think, I think there's, there's, oh, there's a lady that I met at. Um event that I went to and then her thinking really 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 changed my life when she talked to me she said she wants to um, get rid of this uh, whole uh, you know employee mentality in that in her company you know she, she's in the tech space she's stopped hiring people and she's began to say if you want to work with me you need to register your own business and I will then give you an opportunity or a contract to service me for a certain amount of time doing a certain service. So if you are a UI designer, I'll give you a three-year contract for your company to service me, which then means I don't need an office for you. You can work from home. You can do whatever it is that you need to do. But in the end, and I will not restrict you from getting other clients, as long as you service my contract, you'll do it. What that does for her is that it puts her in a position whereby you know, some of the labor issues she's able to you know uh, move one side of them 
but also she's then able to plan resources and not keep people longer than she's meant to keep them and in that she's also ensuring that people grow a mentality and a mindset of being entrepreneurs imagine if if, if instead of getting a pay slip you were invoicing um monthly in the company that you employed at it's much more powerful it just changes your narrative yeah yeah so i, I think that what you've just said is, is is something that is really 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 powerful and the more and more people go onto it and they outsource and they contract but in outsourcing and contract you're outsourcing to the exact individual that's going to be doing the service not a middleman and you're giving them power to start their business whether they are a cleaner whether they are a photographer whether they're a videographer whether they're a speaker you are saying don't be employed own your own destiny but in doing that you also then need to be careful to ensure that you know things like taxes and so forth because people in the space of self employment um, specifically in the entertainment industry I don't know that's besides the point now do tend to at one point or another struggle with such but i think that's really 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 powerful and i think uh, as we begin to close the one thing that we'd want people to take from this if any is the fact that entrepreneurship is about creating value from solving or from relieving people from pain uh, the pain can be uh, different irritations of different shapes and forms or different problems but you want to be creating value from solving that and as you are creating value from solving that if you then underpin you know a, an mtp that has a social um, has a social environmental Um, cultural uh, anchor to it then you are also a social enterprise so you're an entrepreneur and then you can also be a social entrepreneur um for me so first you are an entrepreneur if you're selling any product you first become an entrepreneur before you become a social entrepreneur but if you are a social entrepreneur you need to be deliberate about the social value and the environmental value and if anyone takes away anything from that is it's a really important to have people's interest at heart and that people matter social enterprises are not charity i think that that's where i'll pause it off wonderful wonderful um i think i don't want to say for a third time in closing <laughs> uh, we are actually closing now uh, thank you so much uh, for for taking the time you know these couple of minutes just to listen to our perspective um, and some of the experiences that we have had and, and we hope that you know you take a thing or two away and you go and start with that idea build that mission you know build that product build that service but let's solve problems let's solve problems gentlemen let's solve problems thank you thank you so much everyone